Good morning, guys. This is Joe with the Modern Heathen Man. I want to welcome you all to the show today. Today, we're going to be talking about mead, everybody's favorite topic. <clears throat> um, I'm going to tell you my aspects of mead. I actually have been creating mead now since I was 21. I'm now 46 years old, so I have quite a few years of mead making under my belt. Um, I've won some gold medals. I've won some um, contests and stuff with my mead. And I, I know quite a bit about it. I don't know everything about it. Don't misunderstand me. But I know how to make a good mead, make a mead that's going to be uh, palatable and either sweet or dry, whichever you like. So I'm going to go through my concept of mead and how I begin to create it. I'm going to talk about some really old recipes. Uh, I'm going to talk about some newer recipes. And just in general um, about mead today, how it fits into our heathen standards, how we're able to sacrifice it, how we're able to do the things that we need to do to create our mead, use it as a sacrifice, and how not to have mead. I know that sounds really strange, but we live in a world today where we need to help those around us who are suffering from addictions like alcohol and drugs. And sometimes giving them alcohol is not good, even though if we're using it for religious aspects. So what do we substitute for our mead and how do we do that? And we'll just go through all that today. So I hope uh, you grab yourself a cup of coffee, a cup of cider, a cup of mead, a cup of beer, a cup of whatever you like, or even a horn of that. Sit back, relax, and uh, listen to me talk about the great beverage that is mead. So I look forward to speaking to you guys about this today, and I look forward to um, just talking about it. So give me a few moments. I'll be right back, and we will talk about mead. Have a good morning, guys. Hey guys, Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. How are you guys tonight? I hope I'm meeting you well. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys, while I'm out traveling... It's not always feasible to carry my whole big altar box with me. So sometimes I like a little something in my pocket. And I found a great place to get that from. That's Odin's Beard Woodworking. Great little place out there. It makes small little pocket altars for you with candles and um, gods and everything in them. Little sayings and such. Wonderful work that this man does. Carves everything by hand. He has a couple things going on here. He has little pocket altars that I'm talking about for $25. He has small D poles of 5 to 6 inches for $40. 7 to 8 inches for $45. 9 to 10 for $50. And 11 to 12 for $60. He has 26 different deities to choose from and more coming every day. Your choices right now are Odin, Thor, Tyr, Loki, Freyr, Baldur, Bragi, Hemdall, Njord, Fenrir, Ullr, Vidar, Hermod, Hel, Freya, Ostri, Scotty, Sif, Air, Frigg, Var, Thrud, Idun, Sigun, Ran, and Yord. That's a lot of different gods to choose from. So he can meet anybody's needs. Tell him what you want. You can go ahead and find him at www.odinsbeardwoodworking.com. He also has a Facebook page, and I know he does some stuff live every once in a while that you can actually watch him carve those things. Anyway, give him a good uh, look-see there and see if he has something that you can use. I guarantee his little pocket ultras will come in handy for you. So anyway, 
Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. I am back. Um, today we're talking about mead. So let's begin our conversation really easily with talking about honey. Because honey is the number one ingredient in mead besides water and yeast. So a good mead comes from just those three ingredients. Honey, water, and yeast. Now when we begin adding other things to it, we begin changing what it is. Like we can make it a sizer if we add apple cider. We can make it a mellow mel if we add fruits. We can make it a methagalin if we add um, different types of spices or gingers. And we can keep on going and doing different things and adding things to it to change its flavor. But then we change what it is. But basic, basic, basic mead is just honey, water, and yeast. So let's talk a little bit about honey. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. Honey is one and a half times sweeter than sugar, making it one of the sweetest substances on earth. A hive of honeybees must fly more than 55,000 miles and tap about 2 million flowers in order to produce one pound of honey. Now, in aspects, that tells us that each bee creates one-tenth of a teaspoon of honey within its lifetime. Actually, no, one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey within its lifetime. I, I apologize. Um, I carry around this little necklace I have with this little glass vial in it, and it has one twelfth of a teaspoon on it, and it is really crazy small. It's the amount that a bee makes its whole life, and it makes you wonder, like, wow, that, that's their whole life just creating that. The U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates that there are about 2.68 million honey-producing bee colonies in America. Now, that doesn't include all the... Um, wild hives that are out there. There are quite a few wild hives, and that's why beekeepers are able to go ahead and collect um, wild bees, or swarms, they call them, all throughout the spring and summer. Honey contains antioxidants that fight cholesterol and have the potential to protect against heart disease. One tablespoon of honey contains 64 calories and 17 grams of carbs. Darker's hun darker honey usually have higher antioxidant contents than lighter honey does. Honey is a fat-free and cholesterol-free. An average worker bee makes one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime, as I said. On average, each person in America consumes about 1.3 pounds of honey each year. Now, I am very lucky in the sense that not only do I have access to honey all the time, but I'm also a beekeeper, so I have bees. <laughs> so I get my honey from me sometimes. I buy my honey from other people to help support those farmers. So I'm kind of lucky with that. So let's delve into what we're going to use. So when we're creating our mead, we want the best possible honey. We want to get a good, reputable source of honey. So I do recommend buying from your local beekeeper. Um, Usually what you could do is go online and look up um, um, look up something like local um, bee clubs or local um, 
B producers or local apiaries, and then you'll be able to find a good, reputable source of honey. They're all over the country. I mean, there's people all over. Um, attend the farmer's markets. Buy from the smaller guys. They they produce the best honey because they're able to go ahead and plant specifically for what they want. Not that the larger guys are any less than them. Just the larger guys tend to just let their bees do wildflowers. But if you pick somebody like I used to specifically have my bees do borage, um, a specific mix of honey with specific trees that were around my bees to create a flavor that was almost, I, I don't know, magical because you'd put it in your mouth. It would taste like vanilla. Sometimes it would taste like um, smoky notes and things like that. It was really, really good honey. It was thick. It was almost like, um, almost like silly putty, my honey, uh, very low moisture content, but it wouldn't crystallize. It was Really good honey from Utah. It was it was incredible. I got $19 a pound for it, as a matter of fact. That's how good it was, and people would pay that. So you want a good source of honey. Um, the second thing you're looking for in honey is you want to be able to taste that honey and taste the sweetness in it. Now, there, there's quite a few different sugars in honey, so it'll all taste different as you go. And one year's batch may not be the same as the year before batch. So you want to meld those flavors to whatever you're adding to it. Um, but honey all around is a really good um, sweet thing. It's a really good um, additive to anything. The health benefits are incredible. Then you have to ask yourself one of the two schools that you have to follow, either to heat or not to heat your honey. Now that's a that's a big one. So when you buy your honey, if you don't want to heat it, you want to make sure that you have honey that has not been heated before, that is raw, out of the hive, and just plain old honey. And then you have some people that process that honey, that heat it to get it in the jars and stuff, and you begin to lose some of the benefits of that honey while you're doing that. I personally have recipes that both heat the honey, and I have recipes that do not heat the honey one of the best benefits to heating that honey prior to making it into mead is that you get a cleaner product in the end. You don't have to worry about it clarifying. It's not going to be foggy. Um, but sometimes when you use raw honey, you end up um, getting foggy mead at the end. Not that anybody really cares because if the flavor is good, they don't care how foggy it is. It's just a more, more nicely looking product. When you have it clear, it looks really cool in the bottle. Sun goes through it and everything. And people really enjoy that yellowish hue, that honey color as it comes through. Um, then you have to ask yourself, what type of yeast am I going to use? There are so many different types of yeast on the market. It's almost innumerable. Um, I use an 1116, which is what I prefer to use for my my meads because it leaves them totally dry, but not totally dry, if you know what I mean. It leaves a little bit of residual sugar behind, not like a champagne yeast that would make it totally dry and there'd be no sugars left. Then I'd have to back sweeten with either honey, which would fog it out, or sugar, which is not what I want to begin with. So you have to ask yourself what type of yeast you want. There are specific mead yeasts, which leave it sweeter, but then you have to consume that quickly because you don't get the 12% alcohol you need to preserve the product. Um, there are other kinds that make it a little bit drier. So you just have to kind of toy around with what you want when it comes to yeasts. Um, when you go to your local brew supply store, definitely ask questions about the yeast. Nine times out of ten, the person will be able to answer those questions for you. If not, ask them if there's somebody that um, they can give you the information for that you could talk to prior to creating your mead and go from there. 
The last component of that is water. I will tell you guys, water is important. Depending on where you are in the country, that water will either make or break your mead. When I lived in Utah, the water was very kind of flat, is the best way I could describe it, except for this place called the um, uh, the Spring at the Stump, and used to go there and get beautiful spring water. And I remember teaching a class at Deseret Hive Supply for beekeepers to make vinegar out of their honey. And when I was teaching that class, we went and got gallons and gallons and gallons of spring water at the Spring at the Stump because it was really good good spring water, nice and cool, nice and clear, very aerated, um, gave the minerals and vitamins that the actual yeast, yeast needed to survive. Um, and we'll go over that in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, it gave everything that the yeast needed to survive within that water. A lot of times, if you use distilled water, it's the void of those minerals that will go ahead and feed the yeast. So you want spring water, not not distilled water. You don't want tap water because the chlorine in there is made to kill off any bacterias. You do want some bacterias in your mead because that's what makes the malolactic fermentation and some other stuff happen. So I'm going to say this as a caveat. Yeast, our mead is easy, but it's not easy. It's hard, but it's not hard. And we'll delve more into that in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to break here. I'm going to grab myself something to drink and have some coffee or something. And we're really going to flow into what uh, mead is and how we make it um, over the next two segments. So uh, let me go away here and I'll be back in a few moments. Um, I'll leave you with a sponsor here. One of the great guys that is a heathen uh, craftsman. And uh, we'll go from there and I'll see you in a few moments, guys. Hey guys, this is Joe at Modern Heathen Man. How are you all today? Hoping you're having a good and uh, great day. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys about this YouTube channel that I found called Midgard Musings. It's by a man named Jesse and it is incredible. He has new videos uploaded on the channel every Sunday night and he has a live Facebook stream every Sunday at 7pm um, Central Standard Time. Midgard Musings' goal is to help build heathen communities around the world with educational content and laid-back fun manner. He values the historical aspect of this path and uses it to help us grow and develop as heathens in modern times. So if you've been a heathen for a while or just brand new to it, definitely check it out. It's something worthwhile. If you'd like to support Midgard Musings by subscribing to youtube.com forward slash Midgard Musings, following on Facebook and purchasing merchandise from the Teespring and Redbub, Redbubble stores. Redbubble, say that three times. All of which can be found on the YouTube channel video description. Midgard Musing also offers handmade driftwood rune sets for sale, and the purchase of these items help support the channel. Just to touch base on that a little bit, I actually own one of those rune sets. They're incredibly nice, good feel, wonderful stuff, good power within them. I'm telling you, worthwhile checking out. So please head on over to Midgard Musings, like and subscribe to the channel, and follow on Facebook and on YouTube at facebook.com slash Midgard Musings and youtube.com slash Midgard Musings. M-I-D-G-A-R-D-M-U-S-I-N-G-S will find you that Midgard Musings. Thanks, guys, and have a great day.
Okay, guys, I am back. Thank you for continuing to tune in. So let's go over now equipment. When you walk into the brew supply store, the first thing you're going to see is all these glass jugs. You're going to see all these plastic jugs. You're going to see all the stuff you've never seen before if you've never made wine, beer, or mead. So let me demystify the whole thing for you. <clears throat> to start off, what I recommend is this. I recommend you get one gallon glass jug. I recommend you go to your local bakery and get a bucket with a lid. And I recommend that you buy a bung and an airlock. And that's all you have to buy for equipment at first. Okay. Um, most people have funnels in their house that they'll use. Most people have other things they're going to use. If you want to buy a couple extra things, which will really help you out, you can go ahead and buy a, what's called an auto siphon with a hose. You can buy yourself a funnel. You can buy yourself the spoon that fits in the end of the um, jug to stir it. And there's a couple of things. You also want a hydrometer because without the hydrometer and the little beaker that goes with it, you'll never be able to tell um, what your alcohol content might be. So with that said, there's only a few pieces of equipment that you absolutely need, but you don't need the hydrometer. If you just want to make some basic mead as you go and you find out that you like it, you can start buying more and more of the stuff that, um, lets you do more with it. So that's the equipment end of that. Then there's other things you can decide if you want to make a sparkling mead, which is more of like a champagne. You're going to want to buy um, bottles with caps, just regular beer bottles with caps, and you want to buy a capper. If you want to go ahead and make it still, which means it has no bubbles in it, you're going to go ahead and maybe buy some bottles and corks and a corker. Um, all those things can come later, though. If you just want to use the basic stuff and do mead, just stick with the one gallon jug, the bung, the airlock. That's all you really need besides the honey, the water, and the yeast. So the best way to go about that is um, to go to your brew store, just tell them what you want. Say, I'd like to try it out, see if I like it. This way you're not spending a fortune. I think at this point right now, you could probably get all that for maybe $15, if that. If you know somebody with an old gallon jug that's made of glass, you can get that from them and then just go buy the airlock and bung and that may cost you a buck. I mean, to be honest with you, a buck a piece should be good to go. And it's $2 to spend on all your equipment for making mead. Um, the bucket is so that you can go ahead and stir it and aerate it and pour it into the glass jug then with a funnel. Let it go for a few months. It'll eventually clear out and you'll have your mead. So it's that simple if you just want to make a simple mead. When you get into it a little bit more and you start learning more about it, get a couple books if you like and start learning more and more about mead, then you start getting in the specific recipes. You can look online. One of the best recipes to begin, I'm going to tell you right now, is called Joe's Ancient Orange Mead. Really simple to do. You need some oranges, some clove, some cinnamon, maybe some uh, ginger if you want, honey, water, yeast, and raisins. That's it. Throw that all into a jug and let it go for almost a year. At the end of a year, you have yourself some really good mead. So that's a really good uh, recipe that you can look up on um, YouTube. Just Joe's Ancient Orange Mead. Hundreds of people make it. You should be able to find it pretty easily. So the next thing I want to talk about is um, 
how you go ahead and um, make your first meat. So the ratio that I use is three pounds of honey to one gallon of water. So in that glass jug, I go ahead and I put three pounds of honey. I put warm water on top. When I say warm, I'm not talking heated. I'm not talking. I'm just talking room temperature water right on top of that. Okay. I shake that jar up and I make it aerated. I go ahead and for me to feed my yeast, I just use a couple raisins, like three or four raisins. I throw it into the, the jug there. And what that does is it gives the tannins and all the, the food that the yeast need to keep alive. They end up floating on top of the um, honey, but at the bottom of the water. And the yeast begin to bubble away after I pitch them on top. And they're good to go. And then I let that go for about three months before I go ahead and rack it for the first time. And racking is when you move all the clear liquid on top or all the foggy liquid on top from the goopy stuff in the bottom, which is called lees. You transfer it over and you go ahead and now you let that clarify and you keep doing that a couple of times and it begins clarifying and clarifying and clarifying until it's crystal clear and you can see right through it. My personal meads take me somewhere between um, eight months to a year to create, if not longer. So when my kindred actually drinks the mead that I bring the services, it's already usually about a year old, at least, um, if not getting older, and if not older. Um, some of the meads I have right now are about a year and a half old, so they're being cycled out, and I have a whole new batch of mead going in right now. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I'm making a Viking's blood mead right now. I'm making a honeysuckle mead. I'm making a mojito mead. I'm making a blueberry mead. And I'm making a um, Viking spice mead. And two cherry meads. And a cherry blackberry raspberry mead. So there are quite a few different types that you can go ahead and create. Um, there's different size jugs you can buy. There's one gallon, three gallon, six gallon, seven gallon, 10 gallon, 20 gallon, 25 gallon demijohns. And then after that, you get into stainless steel containers. So, I mean, you could take this hobby from making one gallons all the way up to producing hundreds and hundreds of gallons of meat if you so wish to do. So we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to start touching the aspect of using it as a sacrifice. Now, when I say a sacrifice, most people think of a sacrifice as an animal or something like that. But when we venerate our gods, we want something to sacrifice to them that means something to us. Something that's taken time, effort, thought, labor, and most of all, means something to us. I use quite a bit of time and effort and labor to create my meads. As you can tell, they're thought out, they're consistent, they're concise. I keep a notepad constantly of what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, so I can remember what to do again and again and again. And that's a little tidbit of info I didn't give you right now. I'm going to give it to you. Take notes. When you're done taking notes, take notes about the notes and then notate that note about the note that you took. <laughs> the more information you write down about what you're doing with your mead, the more you're able to recreate that thing 
over and over and over and over again, especially if you get one that's really good and you're like, oh man, this is incredible, but what did I do? And now you're like, what in the world did I do to that? How did I make that again? And you don't know how to do it again because you forgot. So keep consistent notes on what you're doing. Um, so yeah, we want to, we want to do that. And with that labor comes a familiarity with that product. Now, the reason they used to sacrifice animals is because they took the time and the effort to grow those animals. It took resources that they had to feed those animals. It took um, work to care for those animals and keep them healthy. And it took time for the whole community to produce that animal so that it could be sacrificed. And it's the same thing with your meat. It's going to take money. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take you away from something else that you wanted to do in order to do that. But that's what makes it a worthy sacrifice. That's what makes it something worthwhile for the gods to be able to go ahead and sacrifice it to them. When I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about mead and a little bit more about sacrifice specifically. And um, I'm going to use a couple different things. So if you want, go ahead and send me a message about questions you might have about mead. And I'll be more than happy to answer them or I'll put them all onto another podcast and I'll answer them directly for you. So give me a few seconds and I'll be back, guys. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, Joe here from Modern Heathen Man. I wanted to tell you about this great new place that I found. It's a really safe place for heathens of all walks. Um, it's called the International Satru Foundation. They have their own social network platform called the Roots of Yggdrasil. And the International Satru Foundation is an organization that is dedicated to the preservation, growth, and advancement of Germanic paganism. They build networks, share knowledge, and gather in pursuit of common goals. As an organization, they operate at the kindred level and encourage you to explore and ask questions throughout that time frame. Their vision is easy. It's heathens from every walk of life working together for a common goal, the reveal and continued practice of Germanic paganism for everyone worldwide. The things that they're doing are really exciting. They strive to help you understand heathenry better and the different paths of heathenry and Germanic paganism. They educate the public about the faith they gather to share knowledge, build reputable resources for learning, and work towards common goals set by the community itself. They're working on starting a whole school program to make very good educated Gothi, and working on a program specifically for our warriors. Everyone is free to walk their paths as he or she wills, but I'm telling you, this is the greatest place to go. It's a safe haven for heathens. If you're tired of all that Facebook banter and getting banned and going to Facebook jail all the time, they have their own social media network where you're safe to talk about heathenry all day long with other heathens. They're really specific on who they let in there, and it's only heathens talking with heathens. That's all there is to it. So go ahead and check it out. Their address is asatru.org with the real spelling with the hashtags above the A and the U. So make sure to go ahead and check them out, and uh, hopefully we'll see you join there, the International Satru Foundation. Thanks, guys. Okay, guys, I'm back. Thanks again for listening. So let's get through it all real quick here. So you go ahead and you take your honey, your three pounds of honey, you put it into a 
one gallon jug. You fill the water up to right above, right below the uh, notch mark on the curve of the jug. You shake it up. You pitch your yeast into it. You let it go for three months. You rack it out and change it up. And you keep doing that every so often until you get a clear product. Now it's clear and you decide, okay, well, now I'm going to bottle this. So you go ahead and you bottle it up. And now it sits in your, your shelf and you say, okay, we're going to use this for a sacrifice. You go ahead and you pull it out and everybody's like, ooh, this is really good mead. You kept your notes. You're able to redo it again. So now the question is, and we talked about why it's a good sacrifice. So now the question is, how much do you make? Are you really into it? Are you going to buy the other equipment and you're going to go from there? So we're going to talk a little bit about what not to use and how not to use mead. So I personally, I know this sounds really strange, even though I create so much mead, I, I don't drink at all. I don't ever drink. I don't um, drink alcohol as a choice. So I sometimes use cider for myself, but I do sacrifice the mead that I create. So to me, making meat and having my kindred drink it and me sacrificing it is a true sacrifice because it's not something that I drink. It's just the labor that I do to produce something for the gods and for my kindred. And I enjoy that. So I, I like being able to produce that for the gods and the kindred. So what do we give to those people that are recovering from problems they may have had or children or, um, little people. So we can go ahead and either do cider or my family likes to do something called a non-alcoholic mead where you just mix some um, berries up, some honey, some water, just mix it all up and put it in the fridge. It kind of still tastes like mead, I think, but I don't know. So it's just not an actual mead. So you put everything into it except for the yeast. And you serve that up for the kids, and then they can get a little taste of what everybody else is tasting, but not alcoholic. Um, you still put it in a, in a horn for them, and you let them pass it around and do the other stuff. Uh, my kindred really does like the mead. We try a lot. So I'm going to put this out there, and, and don't misunderstand when I say it. If we're out there as a drunk rabble, people are going to look down upon us. So we want to make sure that when we're consuming our meat and we're consuming our beer and we're consuming our ale, we're consuming all those things that we consume in our ceremonies that we're not drunken fools. And by that, I mean, we're not sloshy drunk. We're not going to let those people drive that are, we're not going to cause fights. We're not going to be belligerent. We're not going to do those types of things to look bad all around because those things would make us look bad period. And we, we don't want to do that. So I gladly give me to people in my kindred. I gladly give them bottles to take home. I gladly give um, them bottles to try. But when we're doing a ceremony, we try not to get drunk, even as we're passing the horn around for the sunbolt and the main ceremony, no matter how many times it goes around, you can refrain from drinking it. So I'm going to tell you a little um, 
self-consciousness and a little self-restraint is worthwhile sometimes. And if we're there to socially drink, we're there to socially drink. There are a few ales and stuff I'll go over soon. I have a really great recipe for an old Viking um, heather ale, which looks really nice. Um, and, of course, everybody calls it Viking. It's actually a Norse um recipe they just call it vikings because that's what most people think of the norse as is all vikings but we won't get into that right now we'll get into it a little bit later so that's the basic recipe that's the basic sacrifice that's the basic idea um just be responsible when you drink that's all and you know show out that we are responsible people that we're not just a drunken rabble of people that worship a horn full of mead rather than a god you know, we have to remember ourselves, remember what we represent when we're, when we're out in public. So if you have any questions, go ahead and um, jot them down or send me an email or send me a voice message. And I'll be glad to go ahead and put them on here and answer the questions you have. This is very light, what I touched on with Mead. I'm going to try and do a couple episodes about Mead um, so we can go through some stuff. And even a um, how-to talk about me, if you will. Like I said, this is really just a light talk about me. It's not very much on here. Um, I'd like to talk more about it, to be honest with you. So with that said, I'm going to let you guys go for the day. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Um, tomorrow, I'll talk a little bit more about Mead and some other stuff, and we'll go from there. And like I said, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to send them. Thanks, guys. And I'll say skull if you have a horn with you. I'll say hail for you for listening to me. And have a great day, guys. Bye-bye.